Somebody sent me an article from a magazine that I don't read, but this person occasionally sends me religious articles from a magazine called Esquire. It's a men's fashion magazine. You might think I need it. I have a brother-in-law that thinks I need it. He tells me all the time, he says, you dress like an old man. You need to get a little more contemporary with your dress. He's kind of like a pastor here at this church who bought me a pair of skinny jeans one time, and I refused to wear them. And he said, I bought them for you. At least try them on. And because of that puppy dog look in his eyes, I went to the, my study, and I tried them on, and well, actually, I never got them on. I couldn't get my leg through them, you know, and so I, I brought him back to him. So my, occasionally, I have people who think I need fashion guidance. Can I just tell you something? I'm at the point in my life where fashion really doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm just happy to wake up in the morning and have energy and ready to go. Can somebody say amen with me on that? Well, anyway, Jesus, in this article from Esquire magazine, the article said, Jesus is winning. And I was like, well, that's an interesting quote from a men's fashion magazine. And it just went through all of these religions and how they were growing. It says, but the fact of the matter is that Jesus is winning. People go to movies to see about Jesus. Magazines sell because people talk about Jesus. 35% of Americans believe that you must believe in Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven and invite him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And then it said it again, 35%. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? That is significant when you talk about a, a country where the fastest growing religious group doesn't mean the largest group, the fastest growing religious group are called nuns, and there are other groups that are growing fast, but how that so many people in America still love Jesus and still talk about Jesus. Article goes on to say that even people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah are fascinated by Jesus. And he said, in the, and I'm just kind of quoting in and out from the article, he even said that people who try to deny that Jesus ever lived are just simply denying history because history shows that he lived and that he died and that many of his followers believe that he rose again. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me just add to this, you do believe he rose again. Let's say it together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's do it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, all my life, I've been fascinated about Jesus, and every year I try to read a couple of the newest books that are written about Jesus. There's some things, though, you just have to keep coming back to, and recently I had an interesting conversation with a non-Christian friend of mine, and just simply shared with me, I don't believe in Jesus the way you believe in Jesus. And as he was explaining that to me, I respected him. He says, I, it's just hard for me to believe in the miracles. It's hard for me to believe in the resurrection. It's hard for me to believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. He says, all of those miracles, he says, I love Jesus' teaching, but it's just difficult for me to believe that Jesus is God. And so I would just ask you to remember my friend this week. Let's just do an experiment in prayer because already this week he sent me another couple of articles to, that he'd like for me to read. That You just pray for him that the Holy Spirit will begin to open his eyes because once people start talking like that, that means they're starting to pay attention to you. When they don't want to talk to you, they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. But now he's wanting to talk about Jesus. 
And so you might ask me, how do you do that, Pastor? How do you talk to people about Jesus, and how do you do it in a non-offensive way? Well, I don't know that you can ever be non-offensive. I think sometimes it's always going to be offensive when you talk about Jesus. It just depends on who you're talking to. So I would not worry about being offensive, about talking about Jesus. I would just worry about being rude. Can I, I, you didn't hear that. I wouldn't worry about being offensive when I'm talking about Jesus. I would just worry about being rude. I would worry about being haughty. I would worry about being argumentative. I would worry about trying to win an argument. Lloyd Palou, who was a great evangelist that Billy Graham mentored and worked with Billy Graham a lot, Louis Palou was preaching in India one time, and he asked a Hindu guru, he says, what's the best way to talk to people about Jesus? And this guru looked, who was not a follower of Jesus, this guru looked at, um, at Louis, and he says, listen, most Westerners come to India, and they want to argue, and they want to debate. He says, don't argue and debate with us. Just tell us who Jesus was. Tell us what Jesus did. Simply tell us the story of Jesus and what he's like. And despite all the books that I have about Jesus and I read about Jesus, can I just offer something to you that might save you a little bit of money? The four best books about Jesus that I know are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have them already. You have them on your phone. You have them in your Bible. Matthew gives you the Jewish perspective of Jesus and how he fulfilled all of these Old Testament prophecies. Mark is this exciting miracle, and one miracle after another as Mark moves through telling a Roman audience about Jesus. Luke is a Gentile. He's a slave. He's a physician. And Luke writes more about the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus than anybody else. But Luke puts a special emphasis on upon the Gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ. And then John gives you this highly theological treatment of Jesus so you can understand exactly who Christ was and how he's the incarnation. And as John would put it, he's the light of the world. My favorite place to have my devotions in the morning is downstairs, even though I have a study, is downstairs in Becky's music room because I can open up the blinds and when the sunlight hits that music room, it passes between our neighbor's houses and you can watch this radiant beam of light just gradually work its way across the room and especially in the wintertime, it works its way right across the chair where I'm sitting and I'm like a dog laying in the sunshine in the morning just waiting on that sunlight to come up. But I know that when I'm looking at that sunlight, it left the sun eight minutes ago. This morning, whatever the first time you saw the sunlight, the light you saw traveled 93 million miles, and it reached you eight minutes later, and you basked in its glory. You began to see something spectacular happening in your life, and that was you saw the radiance of the, of the Son of God. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us that Jesus is, that Jesus is the radiance of the Son of God. Jesus is the radiance of God. He is not a created son. He is not a created being. God took on flesh. God became a human being. God didn't empty himself of all that he was. He just simply laid aside those divine attributes so that he could take upon our bodies and become one of us, and now he's fully God and man. 
Now back to the sunlight that I enjoy. That beam of light, and how I wish we had windows in here to illustrate this to you with this morning, that beam of light you're seeing is the radiance of the sun. It is the sun shining on you. And although you can't look at the sun, you can follow the beam of light as it follows across your living room floor, your bedroom floor. You can follow the radiance of the glory of the sun. And though you have to have special glasses or special uh, lenses to be able to look at the sun, when you see the light, you're seeing the sun. And when you see Jesus, although we cannot look at God and behold God face to face, when we see Jesus we see the radiance of his glory and his wonderful light can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning you can't separate the radiance from the sun you can't separate Jesus from God for he is God so I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me this morning and let's look at a passage of scripture from the book of Philippians chapter 2 you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you want to make that same confession that Christians have been making for centuries now? Let's say it to the glory of the Father. Jesus is Lord. Let's say it again. Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, you who come to reveal Christ to us. You who give us the words to say, Lord, at a time when we need them. I pray, help us all to see Jesus today in your word. Help us all to experience the radiance of the glory of God upon us. And finally, Father, help us all to realize what manner of love that God has given to us by giving Christ to us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think what the guru was saying to Louis Palou was, just tell us the story. Tell us the story of Jesus. And when you look at, when you look at the very narratives of the gospel, you hear angels saying, unto you is born a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. They're announcing that God has come in the flesh. Later you will see an old man startled in the temple when he recognizes that this infant baby is the Messiah. And he says, now, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace. Fast forward another 12 years and you see the story of how Jesus is just absolutely blowing the minds of the scholars in the temple is they're questioning him. And if you watch The Chosen and you saw that episode, wow, you just, I got chill bumps all over me just watching that and seeing that representation of how Jesus wowed them. And if you keep reading the, 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 
the story of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll see him meeting those that are unclean and his presence makes them clean. His touch makes them clean. You see him meeting those that are marginalized and Jesus brings them forward and includes them as he forgives them of their sins. You, you see children that are, 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 are looked at more as property in Roman law. The highest form of murder, as we would look at it today, in Roman law was infanticide. People were always killing children, but Jesus embraces them and brings them to himself. You see how that a centurion standing at the cross when Jesus is, is dying for our sins and this Roman centurion who has a hardened heart who's seen so many crucified goes, truly this was the Son of God. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, we see how that also that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus when he was resurrected. So I think the thing that I want you to get most of all this morning is that the Son of God is God, that Jesus is God. And I know that doctrine of the Trinity, and that's not the topic this morning, is a very hard topic to gather. The Old Testament has hints of it throughout it, and you can find it even in the book of Genesis. And again, I don't have time to preach on that this morning because I don't want to be like the Antichrist and wear out the saints today, okay? I, I want you to leave glad you came to church. But you see the Trinity hinted at all through the Old Testament. But so very clearly we taught the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that when I have lunch with my friends who are not Christians and they ask me to pray, I always pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Once somebody asked me, why do you say our Lord? Because I said, there will come a day according to the word of God that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says that. They'll look at me and I'll say, yes. So one day you will make that confession according to what the Bible teaches us. Now, would you agree with that or not is up to you. But I say that because I know that the word then will become like a seed planted inside their heart. I talked to you just a moment ago about the sun. That when you look at the sun's radiance, when you look at a sunbeam, you are seeing the manifestation of the sun. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the manifestation of God. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? And I can't stress how important that is. Because so many Christians died for that confession of faith. So many creeds were written for that faith. That's why that word begotten is so important. Human beings begat. Only God can begot. To begot means that God himself became. When you have a child, you begat a child. But you can never begot a child. Only God could become a human being and come and dwell among us. And it's why Hebrews says he is the exact representation in one translation. He is the radiance in another translation. Even the angels wondered and wanted to peer into this. So what do I do with this? First of all, I want to live, and I want you to live with the same attitude that Jesus had. I want to live with that same attitude that Christ had, not demanding my needs, not demanding my wants, not dominating other people to get them to do what I want them to do. But to lead is not to push, but to lead in such a way so that others want to follow. I'm looking at this beautiful baby over here to my right. 
I stopped in the nurseries on my way into service this morning to say hi to the children. I wanted to remind myself of something today. From the time a baby is born, it cries. It is urging its mother and its father, feed me, change me, keep me warm, keep me loved. In other words, it's saying, meet my needs. And later when that child becomes a teenager, that child begins to demand privileges and rights that you have to determine whether or not they're mature enough to handle. And when we become adults, we're always looking for higher pay, better homes, better cars, better educations. But well-functioned families are not working like unions. Well-functioned families are not working like corporate boardrooms. Well-functioning societies are not working like unions or corporate boardrooms. For well-functioning societies and families, we deny ourselves so that we can meet the needs of others. And that's what Jesus did when the Bible says he laid aside those attributes. He was denying himself so that he can meet the needs of others. And every society, hear this this morning, especially those of you who this may be the first time you've ever heard the gospel before, Societies that do not restrain greed and avarice, demanding that other people meet their needs, eventually those societies, those families, those companies, they self-destruct and they go away. Because the way of Jesus is the way of serving. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Circle that phrase, think of, just think of. In my Bible, it's highlighted orange with a candlestick beside it because it means to think about it. But I also have a little note written in purple because it makes me think of God, that God did not think of himself. In other words, he wanted to serve you and bring glory to the Father. Jesus is the antithesis to all the powers of heaven and hell. Jesus is the antithesis. He came to obey the Father, and he came to serve you and I. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but in order to serve. It's when we're giving, it's when we're serving, that we become like Jesus Christ. Robert Greenleaf wrote a great book. If you've never read it before and you are interested in leadership, read the book Servant Leadership. Such an excellent book because it's when you're giving, it's when you're serving that you're becoming more like Jesus. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Do you get that? God, the radiance of God. Imagine again that ball of fire in the sky, 93 million miles away, that we cannot even begin to approach if we can't put a, a little bitty submarine on the bottom of the ocean to explore the Titanic. Imagine what would happen if you tried to get close to the sun. There's no way to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And he is the ark of safety. It's difficult to do in our society, I know, because, see, our society is fascinated with glamour. Our society is fascinated with wealth. Our society is fascinated with power. Each week when you read the newspapers or you read a weekly magazine, you're going to see one common theme running through, whether it's nations, whether it's boardrooms, whether it's union negotiations, whether it's the dynamics of human relationships, you see the same thing. Human beings want 
to dominate one another. One man asked me, he says, how many people are on your staff? And so I was telling him, I said, but we have this X factor at our church. He goes, what is that? I go, they're volunteers. They serve without any pay. I said, I take out of the offering plate. My, my family and I receive a salary from the church. And I said, but these people serve God because they love God. He said, the people that work for me, he said, if I don't meet every single need and demand, they will walk out the door. Sometimes I wonder if I'm running my company to help them or am I still being true to what I wanted to do with my company? That's not how a Christian works. And I'm certainly not making comments on unions and, and boardrooms today. I'm just saying you recognize this as a fact that there is desire to dominate. Look at Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 3. You know me, O Lord. Say that with me. You know me, O Lord. Say it again. You know me, O Lord. Now, God knows you. He knows me. He knows what is in our hearts. He knows what motivated me, hopefully the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring this message. You see me. God is watching you right now. And you examine my heart's attitude towards you. And my heart's attitude towards God is reflected by my attitude towards you. How I treat you is what I think of God. How I treat Becky is what I think of God. So, we look again at Jesus. Look with me, if you would, right now at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Who have you showed an interest in this week? Who have you come alongside of to serve, not because you were paid to or had to, but you just took an interest in their lives this week. When our children were little, there was nothing they loved more than dressing up in costumes and pretending to be Zorro or Superman or Batman. I can see them now, and every Halloween I watch in our subdivision and here at the church as kids come by, and they're all dressed up in their costumes, and you know there will be Superman, there will be Iron Man, there will be Spider-Man, and I don't know the women's superheroes, so maybe I need to brush up. Who's a woman superhero? Batwoman? Wonder Oh, how could I forget Wonder Woman? And why did I hear more men say her name than I heard women say her name? I am not going to say what I want to say. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, if you wanted to learn to be like Jesus, then you must become a child again. He says, children pretend to be like their heroes. So Lewis suggested, pretend that you're Jesus in a circumstance. Well, you don't know what to do. Pretend that you're Jesus. And don't think out of it as just merely pretending because pretending in imagination is how children learn, Lewis said. And then Lewis goes on to, to, to just wonderfully illustrate this when he says that Jesus said you must become like little children. Sometimes you have to use your imagination and you have to pretend to be like Jesus to know what to do. It's like the, the story of two brothers that the mother cut one slice of cake smaller than the other, and the other slice of cake was bigger. And she says, now, I want you boys to, 
to serve one another. I want you to do what you thought Jesus would do. And the older brother shoved the little piece of cake at his little brother and says, you be Jesus today. There's a lot of times I don't want to be Jesus. Are there times you don't want to be Jesus? Of course there are. There are times where we have to remind ourselves of what Proverbs 23, 7 says. As he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You say, well, pastor, I didn't know the rest of that was there because I always just hear the first part quoted. Well, it's true. As you think within yourself, so you are. But there's a difference between pretending and imagining to grow and being a hypocrite like this rich man was that begrudged the fact that he even had to share a meal. Did you enjoy giving this morning? Did you enjoy opening the door for someone to come in ahead of you? Did you enjoy greeting someone and hugging them this morning? If you didn't and you want to grow, why don't you pretend to be like Jesus? Not a hypocrite. You can say it doesn't feel good right now, but I want to be like Jesus. Philippians 4 and verse 5 says, show a gentle attitude towards everyone in light of this. Let's read it together. The Lord is coming soon. Say it again. The Lord is coming soon. Secondly, I want to love like Jesus. I want to really love like Jesus. Pastor one time had a couple come into his office and they were on the verge of divorce. And he said to them, he says, listen, I don't want you to divorce. The Bible says we need to work these problems out. And the man and the woman looked at him and said, but you don't understand. We have no feelings left for one another. So he says, C.S. Lewis says, you, you need to pretend to be like Jesus. So I, I want you to pretend like you love your wife the way Christ loves the church. And the husband looked at him and says, there's no way. I can't love her like that. Then he says, would you just simply look at your wife then and would you, would you love her like you're supposed to love your neighbor? And the man looked at him and says, I can't do that either. I can't love her as much as I do my neighbor. Finally, in exasperation, the pastor looks at him and says, well, can you at least love her like you're supposed to love your enemies? And the husband says, I can do that. Isn't it amazing that these conditions that we get ourselves in, how we strain at gnats and swallow camels, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to learn to be like Jesus. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. Having become human, he stayed human. In other words, God is still the God-man. Jesus is still the God-man in heaven. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that a crucifixion. You see, obedience and key no matter is key no matter what it costs you. Obedience is key to prosperity. Obedience is key to healing. Obedience is key to peace. It's not that you're earning something. Look at me. It's not that you're earning something. But just like obedience to the laws of electricity will help you to wire a house so that people can live in it safely, disobedience to the laws of electricity can burn that house down and kill that family. You see, obedience to God's word is the key to life and health. Most people are so familiar with the book of Third John, or excuse me, First John, 
But in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, look at this verse with me. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Isn't it interesting that that's how God describes real love? It helps us understand why the Bible says for a man to love his wife as Christ loves the church. We give up our lives. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. When I don't feel like loving that way, look at me. When I don't feel like loving that way, then what I need to do is run to Jesus. I need to run to the cross. I need to be like that man who says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm at the enemy level of love. I'm at the neighbor level of love, but I want to love like Jesus loved. Can you say amen? And just like Jesus met the man with deficient faith and healed his son, God will meet you with deficient love and help you to love like Jesus Christ. Somebody say, praise the Lord this morning. He'll help you to learn to love like that. Kenneth LaTourette, who wrote a seven-volume history of the expansion of Christianity, it's a long and it's a lengthy read, but let me read to you something that he said when he was talking about Jesus no life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men as that of Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphal waging of man's long battle than any other ever known by the human race. Through it, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through it, hundreds of millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It has done more to allay the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse. It has emancipated millions from shadow slavery, millions of others from thraldom device. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their fellows. It has been the most fruitful source of movements to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations on the basis of the justice and peace. What is La Tourette saying there? that the love of Jesus shown through people like you and me does more to liberate people than just from their sins. It liberates them from all that afflicts and destroys the human race. Aren't you grateful for Calvary this morning? So finally, I'm going to ask you this morning to lift up Jesus with me constantly is the Lord of your life. Peter preached that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Pastor, what does that mean? It means that one day you and me, one day I will give an account to God for what I've done in this life. One day you'll give an account to God for what you've done in this life. It means that you and I have to be reconciled with him. And maybe you didn't know that there was anything that you needed to be reconciled with God about. Maybe you've heard that phrase, children of God, we're all the children of God, we're all the people of God. Listen, we're all created by God. But those that God calls his children are those who turn to him through Christ. Because you can't approach a creation 
of the Son, you certainly can't approach the creator of the universe unless you come through Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary. You see, there are sins that you and I have to turn away from. That means to repent. That's what it means. It means simply turn away from them. It means that I trust Christ, not my works to save me. Remember a few minutes ago, it's not that you earn it, you just follow God's laws, but I trust God to save me. That honors God when I say, Lord, I trust you for what Jesus did for me at Calvary. When I took this cup a few moments ago and I prayed over it and I said, Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. I was saying, Jesus, I trust what you did at that cross over 2,000 years ago to cleanse every sin in my life, to save me from hell and give me a home in heaven. And when I say he's Lord of my life, I'm saying I place myself under his authority. When you made the confession a while ago, Jesus is Lord of your life, we made the confession that he is Lord of everything. So would you stand with me this morning? I'd like you to read Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 with me if you would. At the name of Jesus, everyone will bow down. Those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and to the glory of God the Father, everyone will openly agree, Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at your neighbor and just say that to him, Jesus Christ is Lord. Gary, Gary, Jesus is Lord. Barb, Jesus is Lord. John, Jesus is Lord. I'm preaching one night in a service called, Je and my message is simply, Jesus is Lord. We had no idea that there was a woman who had come to that service that was troubled, her life ruled by an evil spirit. And suddenly that woman began to shriek and to howl just by saying, Jesus is Lord. Rather than asking ushers to take her out, I asked anybody that was afraid to slip out and maybe a hundred people slipped out quickly. And then I asked the rest of them, would you just pray quietly? And we went back and we laid hands upon her. I just said it again and again and again, Jesus is Lord. And that night, she was freed from sin. She was free from that tormenting spirit in her life. And she went on to become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Don't ever think those are just words. When you make that confession, you scare the hell out of hell. You want to say it again? Jesus is Lord. Now say it like you mean it. Jesus is Lord. One more verse I want you to read with me. Look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. And as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare with allegiance praise to God, Jesus is Lord. Can we say it again? Jesus is Lord. Now, Father, I'm asking you right now, would you search our hearts, beginning with those of us, O oh Lord, who name your name. 
God, begin with us. If there are areas of our life somehow or another we have not trusted your rule, your authority. Help us not to remember an iron-fisted dictator, but remember a patient Jesus, patient with Peter, patient with two brothers who had a temper problem, patient, Lord, with a woman so possessed of evil spirits that her life was wrecked. Help us to remember, Lord, a Savior that said, be like these little children. Use your imagination and help each one of us this week just to imagine what you would do and then go and do likewise. Now, Father, I pray for those who've never given their hearts to Christ before. I pray for those who've wandered away from their faith. I've just simply told them your story, Jesus. And I ask you that this morning they would come to you by faith. And if you want to know Jesus, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to make that confession from a true and honest heart, Jesus is Lord. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I feel the warmth of your presence. I feel the radiance of the Son of God. I want Jesus in my heart. I trust what he did for me at Calvary to forgive my sins and to make me a brand new man or woman. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today in Jesus' name. And while every head is bowed, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, would you just lift up your hand and hold it up for just a moment and say, Pastor, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you. Hallelujah. There's six people right here in this sanctuary. And if you are giving your heart to Christ online, if you're in church online, you can let us know privately. If, if not, would you send me a message at pastor at woodland.church and let me know you cross the line and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise today and thank him for what he's done? Vance Havner said these words. Look at it on the screen. Let a man get right on the Lordship of Christ, and he will be right on down the line on every issue. It means that the flagship of the fleet is the Lordship of Christ, and if that ship leads all of the ships, church membership, fellowship, discipleship, stewardship, worship, will follow the flagship that Jesus Christ is Lord. My prayer is that these warm days of summer are going to remind us of the warm love of God. My prayer is that the breezes of heaven will blow from the open windows of heaven upon you, bringing you the freshness of the kingdom of heaven. And my prayer is there's going to be such a fragrance about you that somebody is going to ask you this week, who is Jesus? And you will just simply tell them, 
the story of Jesus Christ today. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.